0: One-week season. What is up, OWS fam? Welcome back. After week nine to the Reflection Pod, a space where we become better, more profitable DFS players together. I am your host, BFritz12, here to hang out, recap, talk some balls, some DFS, and yeah, simply to learn together. This week was a fun one. I think a lot of us really liked how it's set up. I think we had sharp ways to approach it, uh, but as always, the NFL is an interesting place, and I think we've got plenty to talk about. As always, we're going to start with a bit of a strategy overview, uh, talk about lineups, and uh, just generally what was sticking out to me this week. We'll go on to talk about fluke or Fail, uh, the players that succeeded. 30 points or more. Should we have been on them or was their performance a bit fluky? And then finally, we'll just kind of recap the week. Um, what we learned, what we're taking away, how we are building and growing to be better DFS players moving on to week 10. All right. So in the strategy portion here, I've got a couple things noted down. Uh, the First and foremost, just being a very broad NFL thing, and that is each and every week in the NFL, we're missing a ton, uh, a shit ton of context without watching every single play, every single minute of every single game. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the results that we see in DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, even in the the game logs, you know, if you're looking at the the box score, so I was looking for there. Um, if you're looking at those, even those, you know, you at least get targets, um, so it provides a little bit more context than final results. But really, we're still missing so much by not actually seeing the game, and I've I've kind of touched on this here and there, but I just feel that it's worth repeating because for so many of us, especially those that are are trying to be better DFS players that are being intentional about reflecting, uh, you know, we're not just saying, oh, this lineup sucked, you know, I didn't hit my... I didn't get there and therefore, you know, must not have been great. Got to do better next week. Maybe I need to tweak some things like we're, you know, we're past that. We're more evolved than that. We are being intentional about how we're doing this. But with that said, sometimes we can still be too hard on ourselves or uh, it just feels like we're not moving in the right direction when we really just don't have this large piece of data in the sense of what actually happened on the football field. And it's just really interesting, right? Because we're in the age of data and analytics, but there is no data to quantify, qualify what happened or what didn't happen, I guess is what I'm getting at here. Um, You know, it's kind of like dark matter or, um, you know, the emptiness in an atom or something like that, right? Right. Uh, I'm I don't know, somebody that actually knows about these things, you could do better than I could with those metaphors. but the idea being that we are not getting the whole picture by looking at results only. And so why am I talking about that? I'm talking about that because I really thought that the the Green Bay offense matched up against the Detroit defense this week was a really interesting get right spot for them. And I don't feel like we talked about it a ton here at OWS. Uh, I listened to the Slate podcast with Hilo and X on Saturday and then read the DFS interpretations for that. Um, So JM's piece and nobody was really high on the offense and understandably so, right? Like uh, Green Bay has just looked awful recently in the past handful of weeks. And they continued that trend, but I want to get to something here. Uh, But I was really high on them because I shouldn't say high on them. That's a bad way to describe it. I was really feeling like it was a get right spot for them and their offense. Uh, If you watched the the previous game against the Bills uh, the week before, they were just ripping off chunk gains left and right on the ground. First, the bills who are a good run defense. Um, Aaron Jones was just carving them up and that's how they stayed in that game. You know, they didn't have a chance at winning, but they didn't get completely blown out because of that. Um, they had Ellen Lazard coming back from injury this week, who again, nobody was really talking about, but I thought was kind of sneaky because he is definitely the alpha, uh, in that receiving room in terms of not that he's some fantastic talent or anything like that, but Rogers trusts him. And so I just really liked those two guys, that game environment, uh, essentially because I had noted the Detroit lions as being basically a cheat code for offensive players. And so in general, The Packers have not been some offensive juggernaut, but between Aaron Jones and Alan Lazard, I really liked their chances. I thought that was a really strong floor and ceiling combo between those two guys. And I'll I'll elaborate a little bit more. I'm not going to go fully into lineup stuff just yet, um, but that was one of the things I really liked this week. So context coming back to that piece. Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions in the red zone. So you see this awful score on the scoreboard. What the hell? How did they score any points against this terrible defense? Rodgers had two interceptions in the red zone, I believe. Uh, so right then and there, you know, if one of those had gone to Aaron Jones, another one of those had gone to Lazard or both gone to Aaron Jones or whatever, um, and he got injured. So Jones, that is, got injured. So that's a, another thing. But... You know, if we're playing this out the way that I was thinking about it beforehand, this game looks a lot different. Aaron Rodgers has a better game if he's throwing those touchdowns. Um, so, again, not that this is some block or anything, but it's just to shine a light on. We're missing a lot of context. And, you know, I, I think we get some of these pieces here and there each week, um, but we don't have... Like I said, nobody's listing out all of the things that didn't happen or almost happened. I think this would be a fantastic resource, by the way, for anybody that's bored or feels like they could figure out how to do that. Um, I personally am a football guy and I love watching football. And I wish I had more time because I would I, like I'm even subscribed to uh, what they switched the game day thing to NFL plus this year. So I'm even subscribed to that. Because I was hoping that I could watch these condensed games and everything, and I would get a ton from that, but I simply don't have the time. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where that would really help my play style because of how my brain works and because I would fill in those missing pieces of context uh, and just, yeah, it's, it's just something that I wanted to mention because it makes such a difference in the game of football. Uh, another one this week that we'll kind of wrap up this topic with is that Van Jefferson dropped a long pass that hit him in the hands. Uh, I thought that, you know, he was kind of a bummer last week. He didn't get the the run that we thought he might, but I liked him again this week after getting some snaps last week, figured they would up that. And, uh, I, I personally kind of liked that game environment. <clears throat> I was mainly playing him on, on late slate. Um, but yeah, he having directly in the hands. I can't remember if he was gonna get like if he could have just you know taken it all the way to the house. Um, uh, but point being that kind of stuff happens all the time, right? So just a note there. All right. I wrote down a couple of just general notes before we get to some more lineup strategy where I was uh, heading what I think was sharp for small fields and attorneys in general. Uh, just some general notes that I wrote down. The Jets are actually legit. Uh, not just because they beat the Bills, but because they've had some really strong showings recently. So anyways, thought that's kind of interesting. Kind of fun that the Jets are a thing. Even with uh, just, you know, dealing receivers or having receivers with bad attitudes and and all that good stuff, they are really kind of coming together. And I think this is uh, a testament to Robert Sala's coaching and that finally kind of permeating the locker room. On the flip side, the Packers are bad. They are just really struggling. I mean, if you can't beat the Detroit Lions who are letting people score just touchdown after touchdown on them, uh, yeah, not not great. Aaron Rodgers is frustrated. Maybe, you know, him and Tom Brady are probably tied for the most frustrated player in the NFL, Um, but yeah, just rough stuff there. Staying in the division, apparently, uh, Cousins and company really let me down. I came around to the Vikings passing offense pretty hard on Saturday night into Sunday morning. I just really, really liked how they set up there. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of times, I think specifically Hilo's kind of talked up how Cousins just like hasn't had things break his way like the... Um, the, the volume and the just like the game plan and stuff is in his favor. It just hasn't broke his way. And so, yeah, I really liked him. I really, really liked Jefferson this week, which I'll get to a little bit in a second. Um, but I just thought, you know, it, with TJ Hackinson coming into town and them talking him up, just thought they were really going to come out slinging here and... Almost there, but I thought this was going to be like a 350 and four game for for Cousins. Devontae can still Devontae. This one hurt a little bit. I wasn't on Devontae again. I will elaborate below um, in a second. But yeah, just doing Devontae things. And yeah, finally, Justin Fields does in fact not suck. He doesn't suck y'all i've been waiting to actually be able to uh, quote unquote prove this it's one game i understand that but i think we're at the point now where heads are turning right people are being like oh maybe this guy isn't that bad um i personally it, it was super frustrated about this um in the early part of the season The Bears offense was horrible. I'm a Bears fan, Um, and I'm not saying all this just to defend my Bears because, you know, they've done enough to hurt me. But I watched them, and I saw how bad their offense was, how bad the offensive line was, uh, the weapons that Fields lacks, the play calling that just was not uh, suited to his strengths. Dudes, like, he has had the raw talent and the potential all along. And so it was driving me insane that people were just like, oh, we're talking about how much he sucked. And it's like, you know, if, if you want to do a real assessment and you want to, you know, uh, watch film or whatever and can genuinely speak to that, then that's one thing. But uh, yeah, just it's a pet peeve of mine when people assess a player in a way that is really inappropriate and just not right so (laughs) anyways i digress yeah jm talked about that this week that he he had come around started coming around to fields and the bears offense overall very very sharp to finish off this general note section and just transition us into lineups uh fields with either empty, uh, excuse me, empty, naked, or with, you know, you could have played Mooney or Kemet. Good on you if you played Komet. Uh, And then bringing that back with Hill and Waddle was the sharpest way to build around this game. So let's segue into lineup thoughts. So the sharpest way to build around this game was the block of Hill and Waddle for all the reasons we've talked about at OWS. I... Hammered this last week on the reflection pod. If you listened, I happened to listen to JM's Winner's Circle podcast where he went all in on the Dolphins' offense as well, which is kind of funny because we probably record these at similar times on Mondays or, yeah, early in the week, Monday or Tuesday. Um, but, anyways, it, those two guys and then Fields on the other side was super sharp. How sharp? Well, too sharp for me, apparently. Fields may not suck, but I certainly do. (laughs) I played no Justin Fields. After everything I just ranted about, I did not play Justin Fields this week. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you guys have been with me for this year, maybe even into last year and some of the live segments we were doing in Discord and the community section, um, but especially this year, I feel like and I think I've mentioned this like I feel like my fatal flaw as a DFS player is I just make one there's there's one thing that I lock into on a roster every single week that kind of does me in. So, you know, the Josh Jacobs thing. Talked about that a couple of weeks ago and how not even really considering him strongly um, and then therefore not playing him much at all was just, you know, an egregious mistake. <laughs> this week, I locked into Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Now, this isn't bad by any means. I think that that was still a good process. Um, but to not consider fields more than it did or to not at least um hedge in a plus ev way you know if if, if i'm building a couple rosters you know i'm specifically a small field single entry player but as i've talked about single entry doesn't just mean i throw in one entry i usually have a a handful of rosters that i kind of build different permutations between the game environments and uh, you know with a, a very small running back pool that i like so this particular week I basically went Trevor Lawrence and then had a couple Kirk Cousins rosters. No Justin Fields. And in this case, again, you guys heard me talk last week about the Dolphins and their offense. I wasn't on this game as much as everybody else. The reason being, I thought there was a small chance that the Bears defense at home, stepped up a little bit. They've been decent this year. Not good by any means, um, but they've been able to at least slow the scoreboard down, so to speak. And I just thought that in Chicago, um, it might be a little lower scoring than people were accounting for. Now it played out to what was the more probable situation, which was what was talked about at OWS. And again, I'll just I'm calling out Hilo because I know he hammered it in a couple places. Um, how the Bears' offense being better and Justin Fields being better is actually was actually very beneficial to this game. So for those of you that built Fields Hill Waddle rosters, um, just know that that was very very sharp you're getting this block of floor and ceiling with Hill and Waddle. They're essentially all the upside in that offense. Um, Most there who I've liked to this point. This season had Jeff Wilson coming in and immediately had um, more uncertainty around his role. And there were just so many good running back plays on this slate, which we'll get to next here. Um It just, it was so sharp because then fields on the other side of the ball has so much floor and a lot of ceiling that we hadn't really seen yet, but we, we know could be there and he was cheaper than, than Tua. And so you can get all the, the floor and the ceiling simply from playing those two receivers. You don't have to stack them with Tua, even though that probably means he's having a good game. It doesn't necessarily mean he's having A a crazy game, right? It doesn't mean he's throwing for 404 or something like that. So super sharp. I'm not apparently. uh, Like I said, my core was Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne and Evan Engram. I know JM talked that up. I loved that. I wasn't initially on Engram. I was initially on Lawrence and Etienne as a block. Uh, You guys, if you've been around, you know how much I love trying to get a cheap but High floor, high ceiling quarterback, running back combo in small field tourneys. Like when you're playing a couple hundred entries, it can be really beneficial on a team. That has the potential to score a handful of touchdowns, and especially when you have a running back that catches passes. And in this case, a quarterback that can have some running game uh, chops it's a good, it's plus B to play them together. So yeah, Evan Engram, I'm really happy with that stack in general. Uh, Lawrence didn't get there. Of, of course, the week that I play him, he has his <laughs> worst week. He, because essentially he was mispriced for how he's been playing. JM was all over how uh, Etienne's mispriced for his new role. So I liked that. I liked Engram as kind of a cheap addition who as a guy who has had at least six targets in the past four games with one 10 target game in there, he saw two targets this game. So just unfortunately didn't get there. The offense in general gotten, they kind of bounced back late, but they struggled a bit too, but that was how I built. I did not bring A full stack back. So what does full stack look like in this case? Well, that would be Jacobs and Devontae. Super beautiful way to uh, play a single entry small field contest. Because here's five guys, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Evan Engram, bringing it back with Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. You have a ton of floor and ceiling JM talked about this on the Winner's Circle podcast last week, but essentially, uh, you know, just a, a thing he comes back to time and time again in terms of how many things we need to get right on a roster. And if you can cut that down to only a few as opposed to nine different things, you are really going to be it's just plus EV, right? Because getting things right in the NFL is really hard. And so if you can decrease the amount of things you need to get right, you're going to be in a better spot. So in this case, if you played those five guys, you now have half of your roster built on one bet that this game is even like a decent game that goes back and forth a bit. Because since these teams are relatively concentrated, you don't even need it to blow up. So I really like that. Unfortunately for me, uh, I played only Jacobs and not Devonta Adams. So I really, really liked Jacobs this week as a guy who has had the role, we've seen it, and he just, like, didn't go anywhere last week, right? He didn't do anything, and so the the field just is so reactive and just drops off guys, and there was other good running back plays, for sure, um, but I really liked him as a natural bringback in this situation, and his role hasn't changed, right? Like, so that was still there. And on the Devante side, I know that JM was pretty high on him. Um, I just didn't see it. I really and of course, like I said earlier, Devante, you know, he always has the chance for 10 catches, 150 and two touchdowns. That's, you know, that's just vintage Devante right there. Uh, But in this particular spot, I just wasn't sure that that was going to be the case. Devante just hasn't commanded this massive target share you know he's priced up around guys who Justin Jefferson Tyreek Hill Cooper Cup uh, these guys who are getting double digit targets and I mean we're talking like almost 15 targets a game and you know when we're talking about like Tyreek so I just didn't love it in this spot like his ceiling will always be there but I didn't love the I didn't there was nothing that really pointed me to, hey, this guy's going to get eight to 10 targets. Now, in hindsight, with some of the injuries and stuff they had, um, maybe that did make sense. Uh, but I did not play Devonte, which I should say I had that lineup saved uh, with both of them in there, Jacobs and Devante. And then I made a switch. I'm not I don't regret that. I like how I changed it. What did I change it to? I changed it to because that was actually a second iteration of this single-entry lineup that I had. What I started with and what I ended up coming back to was Aaron Jones and Alan Mazard. So I already talked a little bit about that, so I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I just really, really liked how this block of guys set up. Uh, I just figured they had such a high opportunity share of the touchdowns that Green Bay could score in this game. Aaron Rodgers loves his guys, the guys that he trusts. And there's no time that that's more true than this year and how this season is just tanking so quickly. He loves them in the red zone. He's going to go to guys he loves in the red zone. So, uh, yeah, against, uh, you know, I've pretty much marked Detroit down as a cheat code and to try to play guys against them each week when it makes sense so i really liked that it felt unique uh, and differentiated in that i didn't think these guys would be played together in fact aaron jones was uh, pretty uh, more highly owned than i thought in the uh the tourney that i was in which is 450 people and lazard was pretty low owned <laughs> Um, uh, but either way, love the combo of those guys. Didn't get there. Like I said, Aaron Jones got injured. Um Lazard, he he like kind of got there. Um, and then both of these guys kind of got hurt uh from a point standpoint, not physically, by the the, the failures in the red zone. Um, but if I were to go back again, I would do this again. I thought. It just felt really, um, really strong to me. All right. Another interesting one here that I'm excited to talk about because I think that if well, for one, this is a growth point for me. As I told you guys, my, my fatal flaw here, I feel like is locking into something and then not being able to be adaptable enough as the weekend moves on to um to shift around and to potentially swap out of that. And what is that that I did well this time around? Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler was initially a lock play for me going into the weekend. It was just like, he's just so much better of a running back play. Just in like his, his floor and his ceiling are so much higher. No Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen. Like he's just... They're this, you know, going to get this massive volume and a game environment. That's really good. So I loved him. I loved him. And uh, on the Slate podcast, you know, uh, X and Hilo love their chargers as much. You know, I do, too. So, you know, they talked about him a bunch. And I was just like, all right, this is great. Locking him in. As I was building lineups late on Saturday and then especially into Sunday morning, when we got news about Ramondre Stevenson, I realized that he was no longer what I thought to be plus EV or uh, a really sharp play. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't, uh, you know, like if you played him, I don't think it was a bad idea or not that it was negative EV by any means, but I think it was sharp to not play him. We had... Running backs in Ramondre Stevenson, who like that injury news was huge once Damien Harris was out as soon as I saw that, because I don't uh, really react too strongly to injury news on Sundays. But that one, as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, shit, like I need to look at this because I had basically um, I may have had him in one of my lineups, but uh, I was not featuring him. And so that was huge. And then you have Josh Jacobs, again, still with his uh, workhorse role. And then Travis Etienne, who has been elevated into this uh, pretty much workhorse role recently as well. With these three guys all at quite a bit less than him. I think Jacobs, yeah, Jacobs was the most expensive at... 1500 cheaper than uh Austin Eckler the other two were like 2500 cheaper ish the that amount of salary for really what was not necessarily similar projections because the quality of your touches count right that counts for a lot especially you know because if they're going to be in the red zone if they're you're on a better team you're per touch score is going to be more. But when you look at these guys, all of them had similar touch projections. Eckler is not a guy who's going to get 25 carries and eight targets. He's going to get, you know, probably between six and 10 targets. And he was, you know, if there was any more of like a, a guarantee for eight targets, to a running back, uh, especially Austin Eckler, this was the game. But I don't even remember when the last time he was over 20 carries was, but it's, it's just not how they use him. So when I was thinking about it that way, I was like, these other guys legitimately have the chance to all go over 20, 20 rushes, 20 carries, and could still. You know, they're not going to see the amount of targets that Eckler does, but they could see between three and six targets each, which is, you know, if Eckler sees eight and they see five, then it's to me, it was not enough to justify the 1500 to 2500 salary difference. So, again, this is more of just um, proud of myself for uh, shifting this piece of my play that I've struggled with a bit. Um, and, yeah, just think that this was a, a sharp way to go. Obviously, Eckler is still kind of the best play overall, definitely as a as a raw play. Um, but that's where I went there. <clears throat> and then in terms of Devante, because I've talked about him, I really just ended up liking Jefferson a lot more. I said why. Uh, I just thought that he was in such a good spot. He Hasn't he's been kind of quiet? You know, he's not having these really big blow up games that he has in the past. Uh, you know, he's played some tough corners early in the year and hasn't been able to be featured. And against this pass funnel Washington defense, uh, I just saw more paths to a big game for him than I did for Devonte. Again, you know, they both have a similar ceiling, but I thought that Jefferson had more paths to that. And kind of worked out for me because uh, I wanted to uh, I was kind of betting on Jacobs getting more more work and more touchdown share than the rest of the field was probably giving that credit for. All right, so let's you know, this is kind of what I was thinking in terms of uh, where I was at from a, a lineup construction standpoint strategy. As you can tell there, that's a pretty folk, you know, I'm not talking about some huge player pool. This is a pretty focused set of bets for me this week. And I've talked a little bit about this on the pod, like knowing where you're making your bets. So my bets essentially were the Bears Dolphins might underwhelm a bit. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars offense is concentrated with a really solid floor and ceiling. The Packers, uh, the two guys on their offense are have most of the floor and ceiling and are going against a terrible defense. I don't think people are giving that enough credit because the Packers have sucked recently. Betting on Josh Jacobs still being in his workhorse role in the field, just not really focusing on it. And then Austin Eckler, not disappointing, but having a solid 25 point game maybe but not blowing things out of the water um, just because to, to put a cap on that Eckler situation because I was thinking about this and I think this is a good way to think about it I think you always need to think about things in terms of points at the end of the day uh, if Eckler scores 30 and you've got the other running backs that I mentioned you've got a handful of other running backs that score 25 points paying up for Eckler and him getting 30 points isn't is hurting you. It's not helping you. It's hurting you. Um, so just another way to think about that. And then, uh, yeah, I have kind of a one-off thing, not necessarily a bet, but basically just betting on the Vikings having to throw more and having more success in that area than the Raiders. Okay, so to look at this from a perspective of winning and losing my bets... What did that look like, right? Because I think it's important to look, like, assess from this angle. Again, I talked about this before, but what do we, what do we got here? What, did I, what did I win? What did I lose? Not even just the, the money in my DraftKings account because there is none now. So, <laughs> oh man, I which I was joking. Um, yeah, it's been, been a rough few weeks. Lots of losses. I mean, really, if I had played <clears throat> uh, fields this week. You know, you can't just do like a one-off comparison, right? Because it doesn't necessarily uh, work. But because that's not necessarily how I would have constructed rosters. But had I played Justin Fields instead of Trevor Lawrence in even some of my lineups, I would have been cashing uh, this particular. <clears throat> oh, because I, w- I did want to mention this too. This particular lineup that I put most of my money in play in this week was. A 450 entry, early only tourney. And I loved the early only slate this week. Why? Because those two afternoon games were weird to me. I thought those are both barbell games that could have gone on the low end. They could have gone on the high end. Uh, They could have... Gone to multiple guys. Like I just, I didn't like the way. Like I didn't feel very certain about where the points were coming in those games. So what did I do? I played early only and just cut those games right on out. I've harped on this every week, and I'm not going to do a big thing on it this week. But I just wanted to note, like this is what I mean when I say let the slate come to you. I didn't like those games. I didn't have to play those games because I could play early only. I, I've been asked this question, too, in Discord. um, Like, I don't really know how to account for this game. What do I do about it? Well, if there's a slate where you don't have to play it, don't play it. It makes it easier. That way you aren't guessing. Um, go towards, you know, you shouldn't always go towards uh, certainty uh, in general because, you know, it's not how you win tourneys. But if you aren't comfortable with how you want to approach it and how you want to make bets on it, then if you can cut it out, then go for it. Um, anyways, all that to say, if I'd played <laughs> uh, Fields on this lineup, you know, 30-point difference between him and Trevor Lawrence, I would have been... Decently in the money and three X, as opposed to mission missing the cash line by eight uh, percent. So, yeah, just a note there. Uh, all right, so wins and losses. Let's look at the bets that I placed. Aaron Jones and Al Lazard. Well, as we talked about, Jones got injured. Rogers turned it over twice in the red zone. Lazard had ten targets, which is pretty solid. Aaron Jones. Would have seen a decent amount more work had he not gotten injured. Uh, but again, these Packers just look bad. It was a loss. It was a loss. I feel good about the bet that I placed. It was a loss. Travis Etienne, win. Straight up win. Uh, dude is probably going to... I haven't looked at pricing this week, um, but I'm sure he's going to continue going up in price. He looks good. And they want to play him, and he's getting red zone touches. No Eckler plus Josh Palmer. I didn't even mention this above. I uh, Should have, but yeah. When talking about uh, lineups and the way I think thinking about that, I originally started the week with Eckler Palmer and either uh, DeAndre Carter. I just thought Michael Bandy was that his name? Michael Bandy uh, was really thin. I just didn't see a you know a no name guy coming in and getting much work. So I wasn't on him, but then I did was thinking about Gerald Everett as well. Ended up not playing him. I ended up only playing Palmer out of all of these guys, and I feel really good about that choice. You know, we talked about Eckler, but I think Joshua Palmer was like a really, really strong play, not only in a block, but also as a one off play. like he was just mispriced. He was essentially their de facto number one receiver. He has a rapport with Herbert. Like he knows the offense. Um, It's not like he was some guy like Bandy or even Carter coming off the sidelines and, you know, just kind of like filling a slot. Like, this guy was going to be the number one. Austin Eckler wasn't going to get 20 targets in this game as much as we like to think about that things that way. Um, so, yeah, I just think Palmer was a really, really sharp play. And so no Eckler plus Palmer for me was a big win. Hawkinson I talked a little bit about the Vikings offense. It didn't really talk about how I tried playing Hawkinson in a handful of spots, uh, especially in those cousins lineups, the, you know, the talk around him was that they were going to have him involved. You know, he was staying up late to, uh, you know, get familiar with the playbook and they were like, he was immediately going to be a contributor. And I don't always believe coach speak. In fact, most of the times I don't, but in this case, for whatever reason, it just felt legit to me. So I wanted to be early on that. It fit with, like I said, how I liked that game shaping up. So for me, Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson was like a stack that I was drooling (laughs) over on Sunday morning. Um, Hawkinson alone was a win. The stack as a whole was a loss. Again, I would place that bet you know, again and again and again. So I'm not concerned about it or frustrated about it, um, but it was a loss. Jets defense. Hey, took a stand on Jets D this week, mainly just because I didn't really love other defenses. And the way that uh, roster construction was working out for me, I really liked what I was able to get with only leaving me with uh, like 2,300 in salary left. And I actually thought that at the bare minimum, Uh, The Jets were the best defense there, and it worked out for 10 points. That was a win. (sighs) Some other notable ones here. I kind of have it in a different section, but uh, in my notes, but Justin Fields. That was an L. It hurts as a Bears fan, as somebody who has been uh, seeing how Justin Fields does not suck this year. And just needed a spot, the right spot, and some support from his teammates and his coaches to put him in a position to succeed. I still didn't play him. So, yeah, just pain, real pain. (laughs) Uh, I I do that once a pod. So uh, Justin Fields gets that one this time around. And then finally... Finally, which will lead us into our fluke or fail segment is I had zero Joe mix in. Now, I know you all are wondering, what do I think of that fluke or fail? That is some of the flukiest shit I've ever seen, man. Like, come on. (laughs) Oh, Joe, 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 like. Killing me, dude. All right. Seriously, though, because I think this is a really important thing to consider due to his insane 58.1 DraftKings points on five touchdowns, four on the ground, one through the air. You know, th- this guy essentially experienced half of a season's worth of regression in a single game. So it's kind of a weird call because if you look at things to this point, it's pretty fluky. And X, I thought, did a really great job of speaking to this in the Slate podcast on Saturday. So those of you uh, that have Inner Circle probably heard this. But essentially, we was just talking about how like this dude's got like three yards of carry. He doesn't look explosive. Like sure, he gets some pass game work, and uh, you know they give him red zone looks and things like that. But like the blocking isn't there. He doesn't look explosive. They're not draw like drawing up plays to get him in. Sp- like he's just it's looked so bad. Like between him and the um, just like the game player, the play calling around him has not looked good all year. And half a season is a pretty decent uh, sample size, right? Like, (laughs) um, you know, in the, the grand scheme of things, it's not that big. But when we're trying to evaluate a team and a player, that's a pretty solid sample size. So for any of you that didn't play him or didn't consider him just like me, literally wasn't in my uh, the my end of the week player pool like no you didn't fail by not playing or even considering Joe Mixon I think X's assessment of that was dead on Uh, I yeah I think that was super sharp and granted Joe Mixon isn't necessarily a bad play either He's on an offense that is really pretty good, that doesn't have their best player in Jamar Chase, who just got whomped and is probably going to want some revenge. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> there, there's there's reasons we can look at in hindsight and say like, yeah, I mean, you know, not surprising this guy had a good game. To have 58.1 points is pretty insane. As like a, you know, a once in a career type game. So, you know, hats off to you, Mixer, Mr. Mixon. But, you know, i uh not your friend because when I played you for the first six weeks of the year and I kept saying, well, this guy is eventually going to get there. He's eventually going to regress. He gets red zone work. He's on a good offense. You didn't do it. So I'm out on you, Joe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, seriously. uh You got kind of a mixed bag there. But at the end of the day, if you weren't on him, like most of us were not, it's all right. And if you played him, good on you. And it wasn't the flukiest thing that ever happened. And yeah, apparently I think his ownership was also down a little bit from what we were expecting here at OWS also. So, uh, yeah. All right. Enough about Joe. Justin Fields. At number two, 45.72, I mean, oh, jeez, 45 points, my man, Uh, 123 yards passing, lol, how do you get 45 points with 123 yards passing? Well, you do that with three touchdowns through the air, and then 178 yards NFL record, ladies and gentlemen, and one touchdown on the ground. I didn't watch that game live, but I did go back and watch that 60 yard touchdown run multiple times. (sighs) Look, when you're a Bears fan, you've been waiting a decade or two or three to have an electrifying quarterback. So, you know, we're just going to take what we can get to get to the nuts and bolts of it, though, not fluky whatsoever. You know, JM, OWS, we were, uh, you know, all about that this week. Super sharp there. Devontae Adams, 39.6. Yeah, I kind of said what I thought about Devontae earlier. Uh, 17 targets in this game. I mean, just whopping compared to what he's had this year. That was the kind of numbers he was seeing in Green Bay, which led to a stat line like what he was seeing And on the receiving end of with Aaron Rodgers. So is that I didn't particularly see them being super pass heavy in this spot. So I wasn't on that, but it's Devonta Adams, right? So he has the ability to get there. So not uh, not not particularly fluky there. Patrick Mahomes wasn't on the main slate, so we'll just go by that. But he had a 38.14. Kenneth Walker with a 30.9. I mean, this dude's a baller. He just keeps getting it done week in and week out. And I know, especially on DraftKings, it's so hard to play running backs that don't have the pass game role, but I mean, dude just keeps doing it and they're gonna keep handing the ball. 109 yards and two touchdowns on 26 rush attempts. He only had 20 yards through the air on three catches, but four targets for a guy like him is, you know, not too shabby either. So I'm assuming his price will jump a decent amount. It'll probably break 7,000 this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, Solid, hard to, hard to bet on with so many other good running backs on the slate that have a little bit more pass catching role, but yeah, definitely not fluky. Tyree kill at 30.3. Here we go. There's our dolphin receiver. I mean, dude just keeps producing. Now I will say he did this on eight targets, uh, seven catches, 143 yards and a touchdown. So that part is kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, in this offense, he's probably going to be in the 30 point range more weeks than he's not, but yeah, his price ain't going to go down. He's probably going to be around 9,000. I would expect for most of the rest of the year, which will, you know, put a slight, uh, damper on the just play Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle thing, because it's going to get a little bit price prohibitive. Cooper Cup. Uh, Well, I guess. okay. sorry. That was the last of the 30 point. I will. I do want to mention a couple of these guys who are just under 30 points since we didn't have very many. It's kind of funny because we had a 58 and a 45, but then we only had four guys in the 30s. Um, But just to rattle off a few of these guys that were in the upper 20s. We had Cooper Cup, 29.8. Travis Etienne, 29.6. Justin Jefferson, 28.5. Tua, 27. Josh Allen, 26.8. We'll stop with Austin Eckler at 25.1. Although, sadly... Uh, Cole commit then comes up at 22 points like oh man dude if you played Justin Fields and Cole commit this week man good on you good on you you know if I don't play best ball actually surprisingly enough but uh, yeah these two would have been all over my best ball rosters because I was very high on both Justin Fields and Cole commit coming into the season so uh, yeah all right Uh, I'm just noticing some other things down here. We had Christian Kirk and Joshua Palmer at 21.6 each. Um, Both guys that I was looking at. So anyways, that's where we're at from a player standpoint. I don't think anything too crazy this week outside of Mr. Joe Mixon. Uh, Just yeah, again, you know. Credit where credit is due. Hat tip to the Bengals and Joe Mixon. That is a career game right there. Pretty cool for him. Not so cool for all of us that didn't play him. With that, let's roll into roster reviews. Just realizing now that I didn't mention that in the overview, this is still a relatively new edition, something that we're playing around with. Uh, so just a reminder that y'all can shoot me your roster in Discord, either shoot me via personal message and or you can throw it to me in the reflection channel and just tag me, make sure uh, I know that you want me to review it. But it's kind of a cool way for you to get a little bit of feedback on your thought process and your construction, as well as help us all learn, right? That's why we're here. That's why this pod is worthwhile for myself and for you. Uh, so, yeah, please, please, please hit me up with your rosters, and I would love to review them. Today, I'm actually going to review two from one, one participant, uh, Roosevelt a DK name and in uh, Discord, Tom Bombadil. So, let's take a look at the small field roster here first. We've got Justin Herbert, Travis Etienne, Ramondre Stevenson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Zay Jones, Khalif Raymond, Gerald Everett, Austin Eckler and Jets D all right. So we've got a Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler and Gerald Everett stack. Yeah. I mean, as we talked about and as we talked about on the slate podcast, the chargers offense continues to be a good offense to attack both from a floor and ceiling perspective. Uh, there, yeah, there's just a lot of goodness here. Uh, think with Herbert, you know, I know I just personally wasn't high on him this week. I know that uh X liked him. I know that he was talked about on the site. I personally just thought that this game probably wouldn't be as much of a shootout. I think, you know, everybody saw that Panthers Falcons game go off and assume that this game was going to be super back and forth as well. Um, I didn't love, love, love the game environments. And I also just kind of liked some of the lower end quarterbacks. Like you would really need to get a lot out of Herbert at his price. That said, he you know, he's got the ceiling. It's always there and not being super highly owned or looked at is, you know, always going to be um, a, a good thing. So that was where this roster started. No bring back from Atlanta. I think that is. Plus, EV to not force that, I was actually on Corderell Patterson this weekend. Now, in uh, just in a few spots, he wasn't on like my my main lineup. But I thought that, you know, he was a guy who just had a high ceiling and a, like this Chargers run defense is really bad. So I thought he was kind of a sneaky play because he was around some guys that, you know, similar pricing and, you know, uncertainty, right? Like nobody's going to play him. And he just, he, he'd kind of fizzled a bit since that um, start early last year. So anyways, no bring back. I think that's sharp as there was nobody really that you had to, to force here Uh, from a running back standpoint. Travis Etienne, you know, we talked about Austin Eckler. He was in the flex here, but Travis Etienne and Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, like both of those guys really sharp. You can see in this tourney here, uh, 46 and 47 point or excuse me, percentage owned respectively. So it was no surprise. They were chalky. But as we've talked about in recent weeks, you just take those points and you differentiate elsewhere. So I think that was sharp. Uh, Receivers, we've got Aminrah St. Brown and Khalif Raymond. So two guys here who really, you know, you can argue delivers a pretty nice floor and ceiling block, especially from a price considered standpoint, because Aminrah St. Brown, you know, um, probably appropriately priced, but, you know, maybe slightly on the lower end with some of the ceiling games that he's had Khalif Raymond on the cheaper side. I, I So like I said, I like it from a floor and ceiling block standpoint. The only thing here is no Green Bay guys. In this case, it feels like a bring back would have been a little bit of a stronger play, Um, you know, throwing Lazard in there or maybe an Aaron Jones. Maybe you thought that, um, you know, the, the arrow didn't necessarily point to anybody on the Packers team, but if you're thinking that Alan Ross St. Brown is going to hit a ceiling game for his price. I think that you're also kind of betting on the Packers pushing that game environment too. Otherwise the Packers just kind of slow the game down. And um, so that's kind of some thoughts there. And then Zay Jones. Yeah. I mean, he was the the cheap receiver um, in that game on that offense so you know it seems like he's kind of the one-off play here and don't hate that if you're just you know kind of slotting in that one last guy that has some floor and ceiling jets defense we already talked about that for my roster how i like them so i thought that was pretty solid there so yeah overall pretty solid i think there's a a few places that could have been a little bit different but uh let's also check out the second roster here, we'll we'll run through this one pretty quickly, but this roster was Justin Fields, Travis Etienne, Ramondre Stevenson, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Zay Jones, Brock Wright, Kenneth Walker, and Jets D. So, some things immediately stick out to me about this roster. Same, same running backs, right? So, same core. Love that. I'm a huge fan of taking the best plays at running back and... Moving on. Uh, So Etienne and Ramondre Stevenson. Love those. Uh, Kenneth Walker was in the flex. Another, you know, we just talked about him. Like, dude just has a high ceiling. Even if his floor is a little lower than some of these other guys, he has a high ceiling. So, uh, yeah, you know, great move there. Justin Fields talked about him. Uh, Floor. Ceiling, even if we haven't seen like a ceiling ceiling before this week. And, you know, price considered just a a really solid choice there. He obviously paid off. What I noticed immediately about this roster though was that because you did these things and you played Zay Jones and Brock Wright, you know, cheap guys that have like you know brock wright that was a little bit of a gamble because we didn't really know how their tight end situation was going to play out but in this situation i like the gamble because you're doing that so that you can have these other solid guys as we just went over and then you get both justin Jefferson and tyreek hill in this lineup who Combined for just about 60 points. Uh, arguably, you know, th- these guys could, are, you know, their floor is like 50. It's so ridiculous. Maybe not 50, but you know what I mean. Uh, and then, you know, they could combine for 80. So I really think that this is a, a pretty unique lineup construction and a really a, a really sharp way to build differently than the field. Uh, you know, I think somebody might look at this roster and be like, oh, you played Brock, right? Like, come on. You know, that was that was a stretch. Um, But because of how the roster was built as a whole, I think it was really, really sharp. uh, Good for almost 200 points on the dot. All right, y'all. That's where we're going to leave it for this week. Uh, Love checking out your lineups. Like I said, send those to me. Shoot me in the DMs, personal message uh, or in the reflection thread and tag me. Yeah, to kind of wrap up here, what did we learn this week? Well, I kind of like I'll circle back to what I initially said, which was that we just are missing a lot of context every week in the NFL, and so we have to be very, very, very careful. I, I, I notice even myself every week, I feel like I make uh, a bit of a mistake in the fluke or fail section. Because how we analyze the results are so, it's so uh, dependent on so many factors. And so we just have to be careful about making generalizations because the field definitely is. And if we can take a step back and not immediately jump on something and say, that was a good play, that was a bad play, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, like if we can step back and not have that knee jerk reaction, we're going to be much, much better DFS players for it. Otherwise, as we say, just about each and every week, this is the NFL. Crazy things happen. The best thing we can do is try to put ourselves in a place to profit off of that. So anyways. Appreciate you guys coming to hang out with me early in the week. Always fun talking shop with you. I hope that I have a better weekend this coming weekend. And I hope I'm there at the top of the leaderboard to see you at the top of the leaderboard. Until then.